But the cool part is Wi-Fi is ubiquitous and having a Wi-Fi solution in almost every device you have and being able to use those Wi-Fi solutions, not just for access and connectivity, but also for sensing, just means Wi-Fi is even more important in everybody's everyday activities. Welcome back to The Signal. This is Martha DeGrasse here for Wi-Fi Alliance, and this is our podcast where we give you the inside track on Wi-Fi. These are meant to be smart conversations with industry leaders. We want to deliver a new perspective on the growing portfolio of Wi-Fi technologies that we see changing the connectivity landscape. Okay, in this episode, we're going to hear more about Wi-Fi 7, the unique features, what sets it apart from Wi-Fi 6, and we're joined by Eric McLaughlin, VP and GM of Wireless Solutions at Intel. Eric, welcome to The Signal. Thanks, Martha. It's great to be here. Yeah, we've been excited about doing this recording. Can you start off by giving us a, a brief overview of your role at Intel? I, I know that the first thing in your bio says that you hate wires, so I thought that was a, <laughs> a good distinction. Give us an overview of what you do at Intel. Sure. So I've been at Intel about 23 years, and almost 20 of that in wireless in some way, shape, or form. So I've been around wireless for a long time. Well, I hate wires because when I'm working, playing, or connecting to anything, I don't want to have to worry about where I am, right? A good example. In the old days, I had to sit at a specific place in my house, pull out an ethernet cable, plug it into my uh, router, and plug my PC into it, and wait for the connection to happen. I could only work there, right? Wi-Fi in and of itself freed me from having to be in that one place to just get my basic work done, right? I could be in the living room, I could be in the dining room. And the performance as we move from Wi-Fi 5, 6, and 7 allows connectivity anywhere in a home with really good results. But I could also be on the road, right? I could be in an airport, I could be on an airplane, I could be in a conference room, I could be in a venue. And Wi-Fi enables that experience anywhere that I'm at. And so that's not possible with a wire. Not only that, but I can control things like my sprinkler system from Brazil, right? I'm gonna be in Brazil next week and we have a sprinkler system. Now I'm in Oregon, it rains all the time this time of year. I don't need my sprinkler system, but if I did, I'd be able to control it from Brazil and make sure that my sprinklers were doing what they needed to do while I was on my business trip. So wires are great, they're reliable, but they're not prevalent. I wanna be doing what I need to do wherever I need to do it, and that's the ubiquity of Wi-Fi. So jumping into the wireless side at Intel has been awesome because I'm able to really free up people, whether you're a consumer, enterprise, or whatever, to get what you need done wherever you might happen to be, and Wi-Fi is an amazing ubiquitous technology to make that happen. So my role at Intel is to be responsible for all of the wireless solutions that go into client devices. This includes desktop and mobile PCs, also includes the mini PCs, Nook, for example, IoT devices, and those kind of things. So I'm responsible for all the business product roadmap and P&L aspects of that, including all of the marketing. So been doing this a long time and love it every single day. Okay, fantastic. 
Now, I don't think you mentioned smartphones in that list of devices, but I think you recently announced a deal with Korea Telecom around Wi-Fi 7. Is that right? We did, although that was focused on their access point technologies for Wi-Fi 7 that they're announcing for the Korea market. So that was kind of an interesting story as well. Some of the listeners may have seen this, but over the last three to four months, we've done some YouTube events where we got together with Broadcom and we took their AP chip and our client chip and we demonstrated interoperability in Wi-Fi 7. So we showed real over the air, not in a lab, right? Not wires behind the scenes, but real over the air connectivity between two devices that weren't developed in the same place, right? So two different companies coming together. Yeah, I saw that on YouTube. For Wi-Fi 7, is that happening maybe a little quicker than it did with earlier generations of Wi-Fi? I would say it's probably at about the same pace. We had a very similar okay. experience with Broadcom on my 5 6 e You know, one of the great things about this industry is disparate players come together early and often to ensure that interoperability consistently remains as we go through this fast-paced innovation that wireless does on an almost annual basis, right? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's about the same pace. But yeah, Korea Telecom saw that, came to us and said, hey, we're about ready to announce this suite of APs. We're really excited. We're leading the entire Korea market in delivering Wi-Fi 7 for both consumer and enterprise. Would you guys be interested in demonstrating for us at MWC, again, real-time over the air with a Spectrum license in the FIRA, the, the place where all of the demos are, right, which is a pretty congested place. But would you like... Where you can't get a Wi-Fi signal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really difficult. And so we came in and brought a bunch of PCs, you know, had them shown in their booth operating real time with their brand new APs. So pretty cool demonstration of Wi-Fi 7 even before products are launched or certified in the market. Very nice. Okay, let's get into the nuts and bolts. Let's talk a little bit about what distinguishes Wi-Fi 7 from Wi-Fi 6 and Wi-Fi 6E. Sure. So I think I'll start one step further back. So I think it's kind of important to build the crescendo, if you will. So in Wi-Fi 5, we had what's called a contention-based network, which means the clients were all vying for attention from the access points simultaneously. It worked, right? And we had both 2.4 and 5 gigahertz spectrum available. Clients were constantly asking to be heard or transmitted to, but it wasn't as efficient as it could be, right? So if you move from Wi-Fi 5 to Wi-Fi 6, not only did some channel size increases happen, but also OFDMA came into the picture and OFDMA enabled a command and control type environment as opposed to a contention-based environment, meaning the AP became the controller for the conversation. So it was able to identify which clients should be transmitting, which should be receiving and making sure it's a super efficient engagement between all the devices on the network and the access point or access points that are in that network. So efficiencies went up significantly from Wi-Fi 5 to Wi-Fi 6. Capacities also went up significantly. I say this a lot, but in my home in the Wi-Fi 5 days, I had three or four Wi-Fi devices. During Wi-Fi 6 days, I had 10 or 12 Wi-Fi devices. I now have 21 Wi-Fi devices in my house, and that's without kids' home, 
So my sprinklers, my oh refrigerator, my you know, almost everything is running on some sort of Wi-Fi. So that efficiency improvement in Wi-Fi 6 was really needed. 6E brought new spectrum, the 6 gigahertz spectrum. So depending on which geo you're in, you get anywhere from 500 megahertz of new spectrum to 1200 megahertz of new spectrum. That new spectrum is really clean, right? There's no other devices in there to interfere. It's only whatever Wi-Fi devices happen to be in the network that can use that spectrum. So all of that was really building the efficiency, capacity, and speeds available, and spectrum available even, to lay the groundwork for Wi-Fi 7. So what does Wi-Fi 7 add? First of all, it adds an increase in channel size. So you go from capacity of about 160 megahertz channels in Wi-Fi 6 and 6E to 320 megahertz channels in Wi-Fi 7. So you effectively double the size of the channel, which doubles your throughput. So you get faster speeds. You also get, again, some really important advances to build on the efficiency thing. Ultra-low deterministic latencies as part of the implementations in Wi-Fi 7, and then also advanced connectivity reliability features and security features that make Wi-Fi 7, like I said, build upon all of the things that had happened before and take your Wi-Fi experience to the next level. Okay, great. So you're saying double the throughput. So what kind of speeds are users actually going to be seeing, do you think? So if you find our YouTube link for that Intel Broadcom demo, you'll see over five gigabits per second running real time over the air. Oh my gosh. Um, Is that up and down? No, that's just uh, that's just down, um, down, right? You know, up is going to be significantly more tube. It's, you know, as always, it's about half what you see in the Uh down link. So You know, we actually took that show on the road to the FCC and showed the chairwoman of the FCC and several of the key commissioners real time in their offices, uh, this five gigahertz, five gigabits per second speed and got a lot of great reactions when they saw how fast these transmissions were going. So that's the kind of speed you're going to see on a Wi-Fi 7 enabled network. So, and you're also talking about 320 megahertz channels. Now, is that more for consumers, enterprise? Where will people actually be able to get that much bandwidth? So, again, it depends on geo. So, in geos that have opened up all 1200 megahertz of 6E spectrum, you can get two or three 320 megahertz channels. And when you have two or three channels of that size available, you're primarily going to see that in consumer-type environments. Enterprise usually needs at least five similar channel sizes in order to avoid co-channel interference. And so you'll see it in primarily in consumer, but you can see some in very targeted places within an enterprise or an industrial application where you can say this aspect of our enterprise or this aspect of our warehouse is 320 megahertz only. And so if you do that, you have, you know, not too dense of an AP population, you could actually utilize the 320 megahertz channels in an enterprise as well, but it's going to be pretty targeted. 
Okay. And what about the geographies where they don't have quite as much spectrum available? Yeah, if, if they opened up 6 gigahertz and they did 500 megahertz, you could probably get one 320 megahertz channel, which would be good for, okay. again, for consumer, but you're you're not going to see that in, in enterprise so much. And, and that would be kind of a small consumer deployment. But the good news is you've got more 160 megahertz channels available and with some of the features in Wi-Fi 7 in, you know, multi-link operation where you're able to do band aggregation, multi-RU puncturing, which allows you to take the bits and pieces of spectrum that are available to you and make them appear contiguous to the devices, you end up maybe not getting a full 320, but you're able to use all of the spectrum available to you very efficiently and you'll get some advantage of, of those bigger channels. Excellent. Okay, any other technical specs on Wi-Fi 7 that you want to highlight? Sure. I think it's important to highlight one more. I think that's the change from 1K qualm to 4K qualm. So what this means is you get a higher density per signal. So this moves from a 10-bit signal in 1K to a 12-bit signal in 4K, which enables you to see about a 20% improvement in some aspects of performance. But when you multiply that out by adding in the higher channel sizes, the ability to move from MCS 11 to MCS 13, which is your modulation modes when you're closer to the APU, which is where you get your very, very best performance. If you add all those things together, a PC where we specialize, a two antenna PC, the max theoretical data would move from 2.4 gigabits per second to 5.8 gigabits per second, which is a 2.4x increase. I think those are the main ones that are most important for people to be aware of. When you think Wi-Fi 7, I think the most important thing for everybody to recognize isn't just the speed, right? It's the efficiency, the security, the capacity. And one of the cool things is when you get wider channels like this, companies like Intel, we look at this and see what else can we do with this, right? And yeah. one of the things... So what else can you do with yeah. it? So we're excited. One of the things we implemented just recently in our latest 13th gen platforms was a feature called Wi-Fi Sensing. And that actually uses Wi-Fi not as an access technology to connect you to the intranet or internet, but as a sensor. And so that means the use case we're doing here is I walk up to my PC, it senses that there's human presence, right? There's somebody coming. It will wake up the PC and get it ready for me to put my password in before I actually sit down. So it gets the PC ready. When I walk away from the PC, it senses that I am gone, the human body is left, and it locks the computer, right? So that sensing is simultaneous to the access, right? The, the devices are able to do both. It's connecting you to the internet or intranet, but it's also enabling you to have this sensing capability. And as we now have 360 megahertz channels available to us, the ability to sense gets finer. You can do gesture control, you can detect human breathing, you can determine how many people in a room, are they sitting up, are they standing down, are they in motion? So there's a lot of innovation going to happen as a result of being able to use Wi-Fi 320 megahertz channel as sensing. And we're really excited to bring some cool stuff to market. So does that eliminate the need to include a, a sensor chip in some devices or no? 
depends on what use cases you want to enable. There's certainly going to be opportunities for reduction, right? Cameras, for example, are used a lot as sensors today. On a PC, you're still going to want a camera to do things like this. You want to be able to to see each other in a Zoom call or whatever. So I don't see all sensors going away. In fact, there's probably going to be even more sensors in our products going forward. Context awareness is, is kind of the next big thing, being aware of what's happening, what devices are around me, what is capable if I connect to that device, what state is that device in, is it on, is it off, is it in a headphone, for example, is it in an ear, is it out of the ear? So those kind of things will come, and yeah, I think more sensors. But the cool part is Wi-Fi is ubiquitous. And having a Wi-Fi solution in almost every device you have and being able to use those Wi-Fi solutions, not just for access and connectivity, but also for sensing, just means Wi-Fi is even more important in everybody's everyday activities. Yeah, sounds like it. So when do you think that consumers will start having access to Wi-Fi 7 devices? in the U.S.? So you'll see launches coming up second half of this year and certification starting at the beginning of 24. So we're excited to be part of that. We never pre-announce our product launches, but they're coming and uh, they'll be here before the end of the year. And you'll see devices from other people as well in that time frame. So pretty exciting. It's almost here. It is almost here. What types of devices do you think will be having the quickest adoption? You'll see almost immediate adoption in phones, right? I've heard, for example, Samsung devices, I'm sure, will have Wi-Fi 7 very quickly. You're going to see access points hitting the market very quickly with you know Wi-Fi 7 capability. PCs, like I said, both desktop and, and notebook. IoT devices, in this case, may lag a little bit. We'll see, but you'll definitely see in the more mobile devices, you'll see these Wi-Fi 7 enablement happening pretty quickly. It's very exciting. And in terms of educating consumers about what they can do with Wi-Fi 7, we've heard from other guests about virtual reality, augmented reality types of applications. Gaming is the one that comes to mind first, but there are others. Is that something that you think will be promoted to consumers to make them aware that Wi-Fi 7 gives them new capabilities? Oh, for sure. I think immersive AR, VR type applications, you know, kind of precursors to the metaverse, you know, we'll start seeing some of these types of capabilities come. But I'm talking to consumers. I think the thing that people need, want and crave the most is just always continued better experience. And Wi-Fi 7 will deliver that too. I use my PC as my primary communication device anymore. I do way more calls on my PC every day than I do on my phone. And enhancing that is huge. If I have less latency, less jitter in the video, less audio interruption, all of those things happen, especially in a place where, you know, it used to be if I was at home working, I was the only one at home working. Now there's multiple people at home working or educating or gaming. And so all of the enhancements that are coming with Wi-Fi 7 will just make those experiences even more seamless. So we're going to make that happen too. So cool AR, VR stuff, gaming, like you said, but just your most important experiences will get better. Well, that is probably what people care about the most is just never having to think about it. It's always there and it always works, right? Yep. All right. Eric McLaughlin, VP and GM for Wireless Solutions at Intel. Thank you so much for being here on The Signal. You bet. Thanks, Martha. It was a lot of fun. It was. 
And that is our show. Don't forget to check the show notes for more resources and links to some of the topics we discussed today. And be sure to follow The Signal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music to get all the latest episodes straight to your device. For all things Wi-Fi, check out Wi-Fi Alliance. That's y-fi.org. I'm Martha DeGrasse. Thanks for listening, and please join us next time on The Signal.